but I think also people some people what they do especially the ones that become most intense and they start using that language of good and evil and that kind of stuff to talk about them and the other side um, they almost make it their religion um, it becomes their everyone needs a source of meaning a source of what am I here for what am I here to fix the world and when politics becomes the ultimate answer to that question then it becomes it's it makes so much sense that it ends up becoming you know the stakes end up becoming so high because this is my very existence yeah and i'm not it's that's not to say that it shouldn't be an important part of one's existence but i think far better to instead of making politics your god make god your god Hello, welcome back to JTV Podcast. I'm very excited today, Ollie, because today I want to ask you about a topic that I've wanted to sort of interrogate or quiz you about for quite a while. And it's quite topical at the moment because in East for our American listeners, Thanksgiving's coming up, and there are two things we never discuss at a Thanksgiving table. What are they? Religion and politics. Religion and politics. What do I want to talk in about theory, today? Religion and politics. A religion and politics. Now, full disclosure before we go in, I myself am not the most politically involved person. Never studied it in school, never got that involved. I couldn't tell you who's the Prime Minister of most countries or what's really going on in Parliament, but I could smile and nod to make enough conversation. However, you, my friend, are quite the opposite. What are you talking about? You're a very passionate political heavyweight, in my, in my view. He's, he's got a very humble, smart so it's all No, no, it's all relative. Compared, oh, to, it's... compared to most people involved in politics, I'm a, but you're far more I'm passionate a, I'm a weasel. You're far, far more passionate than I am. And that's what I want to get into today. I want to understand a bit more about how we can view the political world and political discourse and being involved in world politics and minor, more, you know, local politics. And I don't want to go into shul politics. God forbid. <laughs> that's the best one of them all. But I want to look at all of them through a Jewish approach and find out how relevant they are uh, to, in the eyes of Judaism, how important you think they are or not important, and just get going in that so i might just begin asking you a very open-ended question which is where do you see the role of politics you can define that as as you like in judaism which you can also define as you like oof god i'm gonna get in trouble with this answer <laughs> you can't not i mean, somehow something that one of us is going to say in this interview is going to get going to get us in trouble if it gets picked up. So well, let's just hope it doesn't get picked up. All right. So um, the role of politics in Judaism. Um, I actually did a video on JTV about uh, maybe eight months ago called "Is Judaism Left Wing or Right Wing?" and um, it was based on a talk that I heard given by Rabbi Zobin, um, where he explained that. At the beginning of the Torah, we are we see two human civilizations contrasted with one another. We start off with the pre-flood civilization, which is anarchy, basically. You know, complete law of the jungle, everyone each to their own, no real rules governing society. And he sort of called it like a free market libertarianism gone haywire. Um, you know, and then that's immediately contrasted after the flood. Because it, clearly the Torah is saying this was this was problematic, um, with a highly centralised, uh, uniform society, which was the, can you guess? The post-flood Babylonians. The Tower, Tower, Tower of Babel, Babel Tower yeah. of Babel, exactly, where they were all of, 
humanity were um, forced really to work together to to build this uh, society um, symbolized and, and epitomized by this big tower going towards heaven. In fact, the Midrash tells us that bricks were not expendable, but humans were. And it sort of has these, um, you know, underlying uh, connotations and resonances with, you know, the communist projects of uh, the 20th century, where it was all about the goal of, you know, ultimate communism and where just the same way human beings were tragically very expendable. And again, God doesn't like it. And he, he scatters all the people and he creates difference and diversity within the Populations. On the one hand, you have an extreme individualist and then extreme collectivist, and doesn't seem like either seem to work. And it's amazing, by the way. You know, if you just look a little bit beneath the surface, you see these these you know these really represent the battles of our day, albeit in more moderate forms today, um, most of the time. Uh, these are the, the the battles that we have between individualism and collectivism. But so, what what is the Torah's answer? So immediately after the Tower of Babel, we zoom into one man, Abraham who does want to create, has, have, does have a political vision, which is a, world, a, a moral world, a world that recognizes godliness for, 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 for society. But the Torah is preoccupied with just this one man and this story of one man and woman, Abraham and Sarah, and then their children building a family, and then the generations after that and the tensions that arise and the, you know, the individual problems and challenges and jealousies and, you know, financial issues and marriage issues and fertility issues. And it's all very personalized. And eventually we come to form the Jewish people, the nation in the next book of the Torah. And their job is to try and, you know, set an example and create a, 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 a one sort of micro uh, society um, which is there to set an example and influence the world sort of at a more, um, you know, a smaller level than a big, some, some big grand global political scheme or vision. And it's almost as if the Torah is telling us that actually the way, it, it's almost like it's not overly concerned with what specific kind of political system you have. And we can certainly get into different political policies. And I think you can find both more liberal and more conservative elements to Jewish law. I don't think it's that clear-cut. And we can definitely talk about particular issues, whether they're economic or social, political. But it's almost as if the Torah is telling us that it's more concerned with how people operate on an individual level than big, grand political schemes and political policies. That's the most important way in which the Torah believes we're going to change the world. And it's interesting, you know, you look at some of these politicians throughout history who had great, grand political schemes that were to save the world and look after the poorest and weakest most vulnerable and when you saw their personal lives it was not particularly impressive in fact you know even Lenin for example was known to be, to be a particularly odious person uh you know in, in his personal life and so the terror seems far more far more occupied um it's not that it's not a political document but it's far more occupied with the way we individual we, we, we interact on an individual level with each other um rather than how what the government does it does have some policies for government but it's relatively unconcerned with that and i think for anyone and, and we do see this and i can I've, I've seen plenty examples of this where people say they project their political ideology onto their religion in this case judaism you say it's i mean i i, I once was in a in a talk in, in my shul where someone was they, they brought in to give the talk. He was a sort of pluralistic Jewish um, educator. And it was just before an election, I think in 2017. 
and he said you know it was he was talking about the fact that the torah every seven years has this re, um idea of making everyone's leave need to leave the land fallow and the poor can come and collect from it and then also spoke about the jubilee year how land gets redistributed um land ownership um and he said he was trying to argue that judaism was basically a socialist document because of that um and you know i certainly wants to provide it's, it's true there are some redistributive elements to it there's also some very strongly free market elements to it i mean it's just not so straightforward and for anyone to try and you know um uh monopolize uh judaism under one political ideology as he did and he actually said you know so if you can't he, he said if you can't vote labor therefore this general election but at least don't vote conservative and he was saying this with the, with his Jew, judaism hat on i thought it was really inappropriate i think it'd be inappropriate for someone to say you should vote you know to, to say as a, as a spiritual leader you must vote for this for any party um and people try to do that and, and the point is i i, I you know I, I just don't think it's appropriate to be doing that and one of the chief reasons being that you know, Judaism is actually much more focused on individual morality than big political systems. Very nice. It reminds me of an idea that, well, Maimonides writes about free will, that every single individual has free will, has a, a level of bechir, free choice in their lives, except for political leaders. Hmm. That the role of political leaders now they govern their countries is purely in the hands of our shem, Yes, not seen as individuals. Yes, Example, this, is, this is, is one of the reasons I decided not to enter politics. Oh. I thought, well, God really runs that part <laughs> of the world. Speaking about how, like Pharaoh, especially after I think it's the third plague, it's always that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hasn't got a choice anymore about letting the Jews go. It's purely God's plan. Although some people say that was actually to give him a choice, because had his heart not been hardened, he would be so overwhelmed by the plague that there would be no choice to make. But that argument isn't necessary if you're going to explain why he needs to be punished if it was purely God's choice. But the idea being is that major political things, and that an individual is not meant to have that much power, that much control over the world. That's not what the individual is there for. Therefore, that power doesn't really go to them. It's purely in the eyes of God. But given that, given what you said, then... Would you say there's any purpose or goal, and you're talking just about now about yourself, about a Jew being involved in, you know, that country's politics or, or government or, or fighting for it? Um, no, I'm certainly not saying people shouldn't be involved in politics. In many ways, I think we have to do a hishtadlut. I mean, I think, you know, we've got the upcoming holidays of Hanukkah and Purim coming up. They're intensely political holidays. You know, Esther was an APAC lobbyist. Was she not? She, you know, she had to go in there. Mm. <laughs> Uh, on behalf of the Jewish people and try to lobby the king. And, and you know, we do believe in having to do hishtadlut. We have to put in our effort. We have to do all the things necessary, of course. Um, and also, I, I think there's nothing... It's not, it's not unreasonable for for people of uh, um, Jewish conviction to, to be involved in general politics of the country they're in. I just think all I'm saying is the danger is when you have people who are wearing their Jewish religious spiritual hat and saying... That, that their entire political ideology is in the name of uh, Judaism. You know, I'm, 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 I'm cautious, of, very cautious about that. And certainly if you are, if your main career title is one of being a, a rabbi um, mm. or a spiritual leader, and then to be, you know, <laughs> to, 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 to try and project an entire political ideology onto that and to be involved in politics in, not to, there's nothing wrong with being involved in politics, but to, to 
you know, claim that your entire political party that you may work with or associated with, they represent the the essence of everything, you know, um, that your spiritual values dictate. I just, I'm very cautious of that because it, it's, it's, I, I, I just don't think it's that straightforward. Um, so no, I'm not against being involved in politics. I'm also been involved in politics, but I'm just saying about just being careful sometimes to make distinctions okay which you say maybe your caution is because you're sort of skeptical of the authenticity and the motivation behind that someone views their religious identity purely through their political actions that that for that for them their judaism is expressed through their political involvement or yeah you know. i mean it, it it happens um and actually what ends up happening is that judaism becomes no different to the religious, the, the political ideology they subscribe to, and then they might as well just dump the Judaism bit. Um, you know, as I say, so much of Judaism is about one's personal relationship with God, with other human beings, self-internal growth. There's some aspects that of Jewish law which talk about, you know, mass economic and political policy, but the vast majority is not associated with that. So I just, I just think. I don't think it's wrong to say that the reason I'm involved in politics is because of a broad value like the importance of helping the world or standing up for my people or whatever it is. But um, you just, you sometimes find people even like, they literally can hijack uh, uh, mitzvot or festivals and make it about a contemporary political, entirely about a contemporary political issue when it's just, it's just not appropriate. Yeah, you ever watch, but and every Hanukkah this happens that uh, in this country, in England at least, the political leaders always get out and put out a Hanukkah video. They try and project their current ideology or manifesto into yeah, the story yeah. of Hanukkah. And their ideology or manifesto always is the perfect embodiment of from darkness to light. It's always that as well. <laughs> and you watching, it she has nothing to do with Hanukkah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, it's nice that they do it. I mean, it's, I certainly think when I see these political leaders, whether in America or the UK, you know, sending these messages to Jewish people, I mean, you know, think about that happening 100 200 300 years ago it is a one it is a great thing to see that they feel compelled to do that um it's always very reassuring and yeah. it's quite sweet to see a, a hanukkah outside downing street or that there's a white house hanukkah party going on even though yeah they do feel very sort of cliche when they put out and very sort of scripted about that because we're talking right now should a jew get involved in politics and we're not even appreciating how privileged we are that that is a question that Jews can have a place, and not just you know we have to hide among alongside our our people in politics, but we can. There's a Jewish voice in politics. Yeah, they'll look out for Jewish issues, and that the government ought to be quite, uh, you know experienced on, and qualified to speak about issues that affect Jews. I, mean, I remember when, at the start of all these um, COVID regulations in this country, I found that there's, they put a whole document on the government website about Simchat Torah, and you know could you carry the safe Torah or not? Should you put a bag over it? How is your sanitize between it? And I liked how, like, on the government website, we had sort of bizarre halakhot laws around lifting a safe Torah in yeah. a sanitized way. Yeah. I thought that was quite sweet, almost funny, but it's quite sweet in a way that we, we were that comfortable. So we're very, very privileged in it. And we are talking in a very contemporary sense, in a very, also in a, in a Western sense, not probably a step removed from the political nature in Israel, for example, where it's a, the religion and politics are far more hand in hand. We are in a sort of not a religious or post-religious state, but the government seems to run yeah. outside of that. Yeah. 
But I think what we will certainly see happening a lot in America is, you know, as I said, that person that came into synagogue, you know, saying Judaism is a it's a socialist document. Like, really, does it want us to own? Does it want the the government to own the means of all production? Really, like, do they want to have very high tax rates throughout the? I mean, but equally, you have people that say it's a you know. It, Judaism and, mod- and contemporary conservatism are one and the same. That's also not strictly true at all. You know, you look at, um, uh, for example, you can have a lot of concerns that are very strong on, you know, prison and, and tough tough on law and order. I think Judaism probably sees prison as quite a cruel and unusual form of punishment. It's not really um, a concept punishment we have. It's uh, the rabbis crease, I think sort of harem type thing, a exclusion type thing. There are cases in the Gemara where they basically will put someone in a room where they can't get out of and just leave them because they, they knew the person was guilty, but they couldn't exactly prove enough. But prison's not really a thing we have. We have fines, we have more brutal punishments, but... Yeah, or, or, or whipping. Really and then, but, but I mean, the idea of making forcing someone to, um, you know... Um, be, be in solitary existence. confinement for mm. 30 years is an extremely harsh sentence um, but also um, whereas for example they would say much better to give them a horrible whipping for you know <laughs> uh, but, but then I, I also see the, the concern I mean I, I, I'm, I see the concerns on either side I'm just saying it's not clear cut another example would be abortion you know it's the, the issue of abortion it's not as straightforward in the Ju- Judaism does not fit in the American pro-life camp it also doesn't necessarily visit the pro-choice camp, but it's more um, it's more nuanced than that. So again, I just think that it's you just have to be careful um, to make Judaism very policy prescriptive, or do do specific policies support specific policies in the name of um, Judaism when some of the time it's just. It's it's too tenuous a link that you're creating. Also, you're probably just devaluing Judaism by by restricting it to these sort of political natures. It seems that basically that religion makes sense to transcend um, these political sort of terms and, and world. It should, it should go above that. And also, as we understand Judaism and religion, that it should impact every decision in one's life. And that that's regardless if you or for whichever wing you're you're in whatever policy you're taking by you, there's a Jewish way to act within that, any system. A lot of things I think about is, maybe the reason why I'm more put off by politics, is not the nature of what's really going on, the actual importance of law, making laws and keeping the country going, the economy and jobs and things like that. But the political discourse that I've experienced, the way it's spoken about, and people argue on different sides of the political spectrum, there's no no part of that is attractive to me. It's incredibly off-putting. And I wanted to hear sort of your take on this because I know you're you're far more vocal and you're more politically you just you you have far greater conversations with people in the political world. And you, what's your take on how the discourse is made? In, in... Um, so I, I think it's really very bad, um, especially in um, America, really bad um, on both sides of the political spectrum i mean like terrible uh i think it's probably a fair bit better in this country um still not fantastic but one of the reasons i've become a little bit in many ways i have a a deep love for america because of you know the society that it's created i think it's been a, a remarkable force for good even though it has certainly has its fair share of sins as does any country um 
But today, we see that there is this each side the, of you know of the the people on the left and on the right. They are kind of they've dug their heels in so much to such an extent, and I think it's certainly been provoked by social media. Um, it's been provoked by um, just politicians as well on both sides um, that are decided that they both sides decide they want to play dirty because they, they their justification for it is look we're in war now this is civil war um, and also they'll say it works they they might say it works I think also the Americans and... yeah the, exactly the I think the American psyche is or, or persona is more kind of brash and just you know just say what's on someone's mind um without any sense for diplomacy um and i think civil discourse is being eroded and you have now there's no there's almost like and one of the reasons i decided not to be a a a political activist in terms of being a public spokesperson let's say and really going down that route in my life there's a variety of reasons, one of which you mentioned earlier, but another reason is because, especially in America, but even in the UK too, to some extent, politics has become so polarised that if you declare yourself to be part of a political wing or political party, the other side of that debate, or people have such strong passions or feelings, they, they actually they can't see you beyond that definition. And that you're so much defined by that that you become devi- so divisive and polarized, and I think that's um, scary. And and that's that's you know if people can't have healthy political discourse where you know I happen to like football, you happen to like this, I happen to be a bit more to the left, you have to be a bit more to the right. You know, it's good to have vigorous debate, but where it becomes nasty, where it affects my social life, so we look, we saw it happen with the the Remain and Leave campaign as well um in the uk the brexit debate um where it starts to affect people's ability to interact with certain other people where it, and that that's a sign of an unhealthy political discourse um where people are no longer seen as legitimate um for you know having certain views and sometimes by the way it can be it it can be um really hard or even potentially appropriate so for example i i I really struggled with people that wanted to to vote Labour for Jeremy Corbyn in 2019, but not because of him being, you know, left-wing on economic policy or even on political, but because of his uh, anti-Semitic um, past. Um, and But then again, I, 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 I would never, quote-unquote, cancel anyone. I'd have a conversation with anyone. I would be civil and polite to them. I think that's that's what's what's being lost now. Um, and well, therefore, the I, art of having a conversation with somebody you don't necessarily agree with. Yeah, and 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 respect um, for one another, and also being able to see someone beyond just their political opinion, not and recognize that in the vast majority of cases, people have these opinions because they want to make the world better and they have mm. good intentions. You know, some people just see the other side as evil, and I decided. For me, I you know I'm. I, cer- I certainly have always been thinking about how can I try and make a positive impact in the world, and that's certainly why I consider politics for a while. But I decided that this political issues, which are very 
depersonalized. They're about big political projects. I'm much more interested in interpersonal morality um, as a way of fixing the world, and I think Torah is too. But um, these, uh, uh, this whole issue of people being labelled and unable to be seen beyond their political views was one of the big reasons for which I thought, I, d- I don't see it, this is not the hill I want to die on, you know? Mm. It's not worth being so... Uh, it, intensely involved in, in politics um when you just end up becoming so divisive and that's really sad that's a, that's 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 a sign of a, a much more polarized and divided um society but there we go is, that, is there a remedy to that because i'm thinking sort of especially one of the points you made there the talmud makes a distinction between two different kinds of machlokes arguments mm. there's one that is l'shem shemayim for the sake of heaven and one that is made to people who argue not for the sake of heaven What's for the sake of heaven? A good example is two guys learning a bit of Torah together, and their ultimate goal is to find the emet, the truth. What is the Torah trying to say? What's the less they can learn here? So one guy will argue his point, what he believes it to be, and he'll bring his sources, and his friend will bring the other sources, and he'll argue this, that, and the other. But it it all works. It's all healthy. And they'll be yelling at one another and really, really aggressive because they're so passionate about finding the truth. They want to understand this Torah teaching. And they'll enter as friends and they'll depart as friends because even though they will argue on every single line of the points they were making, they share the common goal of to find what the Torah is, what the Jewish law is in that scenario. An argument that is made not for the sake of heaven and the story of Korach and the Torah is a very good example of this, is it's about ego. It's about, I want to win over you. That I want to use the points that are just to, to break down your argument. I will catch you out. If you make a slip up, I will hone in on that point and I will argue and I will fight. If you say one controversial thing two years ago, I will put it on all the papers and I will overpromote that and I will try and break you down. My goal is more to beat you, the opponent, but myself above more than the overall goal. Politics is, is in essence, and the reason we appoint politicians, I understand it, is because the country is quite big. And we haven't got time, we've got to do our own job. We haven't got time to deal with the issues. We appoint somebody on our behalf. We have to fight on our behalf for the best for the country and for the people more than just ourselves. Mm. And when we lose sight of that, when we get very polarised and we're debating more about can I stop your bill getting passed and can I make sure that there are more of my colours team in, in, in Parliament than there are yours. And we're thinking more about that and more about how I can defeat my enemy and how we can get you know, more hits and more votes and more young people out and more campaigners and more traction. And that's your motivation. That's the only motivation. And you lose sight of the genuine fight, which is just trying to make the world a better place. Yeah, then you'll, you'll lose it. And then, you, then it makes sense almost, and it's sad that, that bipartisanship or political alliances go away and to the fact and we're at a point when, when occasionally they do happen you do see sort of people on different parts of the divide coming together on different issues how they will lose supporters on their own side as they are traitorous and they are betraying the values because they are having the decency to have a conversation to listen to your person's point of view also more than that i just from a, it's an intellectual point of view an academic point of view it makes it's it's it, there's no it's, it's the way you learn something is you learn and develop any idea is you have to have it challenged. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Moshe, or the example I was thinking about is if you, the way you build a safe, like a, a safe to protect something, is that you will build a strong metal box and then you'll whack it and set fire to it and you'll try and blow it up and freeze it and do whatever you can to try and break in. And if, it, if, it, if, it, if you bring the safe and you work on that issue and you fix that issue, then you try again. 
And the way you build the most safe safe is by spending all your time trying to destroy it until the point you can't destroy it anymore. At that point, you know it's completely 100%. It works. It does the job. Your argument is bulletproof. Oh, I have a few dents, but yeah. yeah fine, <laughs> but, but then you, you build it up and you have more confidence in that argument because it's been challenged. Yeah. And yeah. when it happens in an environment, then a base measure, so house learning can be a great example of this because if everyone's pursuing it for the right reasons, then you'll all leave wiser and stronger. Yeah. The issue is if we get stuck in echo chambers, if we get stuck in just sort of sticking to our own crowd that promote our own views and will push down and berate the other side, not only are we not going anywhere, not only is it, is it civil discourse going away, but it surely it devalues and weakens your own arguments because they've never been tested. Absolutely. And that's the way Parliament in the UK was designed. You have, If you look at the way the actual House of Commons mm. is set up, it's meant to have the government on one side and then facing the other side is this Her Majesty's loyal opposition. Meaning we are both loyal to... Both sides are loyal to Her Majesty's government, Her Majesty's... Uh, country society we're both loyal to making the best possible society we're just debating over this is for the sake of heaven or for the sake of the country that's how it's meant to be mm. and that's how politics can be at its best and i think your argument of your, your your point about argument for the sake of heaven that's exactly the point here what's happened is we've stopped arguing over the opinion opinion and we've made it about the person or rather we've been unable to separate the two to realize that we're both trying to make society the best it can be and i think often we see people when politics is gets bad and gets ugly is when people start saying you are evil or your your policy is evil rather than your opinion or policy is wrong you know when you start calling the person scum you know that is when it gets um dangerous because you we need to separate the opinion and the person you ask what the remedy to all this is uh, I think a lot of people, the reason why tensions are so high, um, especially in America, um, I think, look, on, on the one hand, it's because people really care about their society and their future and they love their, their, their country. But I think also people, some people, what they do, especially the ones that become most intense and they start using that like, language of good and evil and that kind of stuff to talk about them and the other side, um, they almost make it their religion um it becomes their everyone needs a source of meaning a source of what am i here for what am i here to fix the world and when politics becomes the ultimate answer to that question then it becomes it's it makes so much sense that it ends up becoming that you know the stakes end up becoming so high because this is my very existence yeah and i'm not it's that's not to say that it shouldn't be an important part of one's existence but i think far better to instead of making politics your god make god your god um and if we can all be under what if we can all be one nation under that same god um that means it's much easier to speak from a common lens a common language we're all uh, you know creating god's image children of god and that's the most important thing that's the most important is then right how do we try and make society better Okay, and then you'll also, I think, also God and, and religion, certainly Judaism, recognizes that politics is only one, you know, political policies from government are only one part of the equation of making society better and what we're here for. And it really, Judaism really empowers individuals and in saying, you think that it's only the prime minister that can have all the power. Actually, you're wrong. Just you said the prime minister's heart is in the hands of uh, God and the, the place in which we 
are most empowered is in the grassroots is in our, the, the way that and, and my meaning why i'm here is actually can be answered by looking around in my immediate vicinity who needs me how am i how can i make a difference in the immediate world around me in my family friends and community um so i think that's that's got to be a big part of the remedy we actually need to tone down the stakes almost um and give people and i think that will give people uh, fuller lives well, tell me if you think this links into i had this theory recently or one of the reasons why people in the political world find it almost so easy to lose sight of the greater goal and don't and get to pettier levels is because we a politician in parliament is, is a few steps removed from actually how their policies affect the man on the ground if we are you and i are planning uh, an event together or something together and we have to organize it together there's, there, are only, there's no, there are very few barriers between our planning and the actual event itself. And so therefore, even if we disagree on something, we can find it quite easy to go like, well, we've got to get the event working and we're less likely to sort of to get too aggressive about it because we're all, we can eat very easy. It's very attainable to us that it's all part of the same process. If you're so many uh, levels up the ladder that you're creating a policy that will put some money into one thing, that will eventually affect this person, that affect that person, and then years later, someone down in, in this part of the, of, of the country will benefit a bit more from your policy you feel so far removed from that it's very easy to to lose sight of that and far easier as they get into the more petty i've got to beat my political rival so i I'm, maybe i'm just trying to like, excuse or understand justify a little bit of um how in, in, in and i think that applies more than just politics and just all things how we we can detach ourselves from reality and therefore find it easier to, to do things that we probably don't wouldn't ideally do However, if we were to again go down to a more micro level, a more interpersonal level, and assess every situation in that point of view, it'll be far easier to see the greater goods. Yeah. Which is uh, basically trying to take teachings of Torah and a Jewish viewpoint and trying to read that into and apply that into a political mindset and see if that would be beneficial. I think the key thing is just trying to personalize things and become more, make, make your actions more um sensitive to the needs of others you know i think when it comes to charity for example uh, judaism encourages says much better to give smaller amounts on a regular basis than one big lump sum and they not have to think about it you know out of sight out of mind it wants us to be thinking about this it's all about consciousness become more sensitive to the issues around you you have to, when you if you give charity to someone certainly if you're seeing someone in person you give charity to them if you don't smile at them you haven't done you haven't done the mitzvah mm. you have to actually give them a you know and an, greet them with a nice countenance i think we think about you know the greatest jewish leader of all time uh moshe we it's before he's given charged with the mission he goes that doesn't what does he do he goes out to the to the jews and sees their suffering and and the egyptian slave and then the suffering of the midianite girls um and he 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 sensitizes himself he brings consciousness a jewish leader is someone who they don't have to be raised they don't have to come from the the poverty and struggle of the masses but they have to be in touch with and conscious of and uh, see for themselves um the the people to which they are um you know um being called upon to represent you think you can't be a good leader unless you have 100 clarity over who and what you're leading and what you're really fighting i'm just being i just just being in touch being yeah but yeah you can't just run from a high tower exactly you've got to be in touch with the issues uh on the ground and the and 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 even if it doesn't change your political your specific policies it gives you an an empathy um you know a, a, a sensitivity to the issues which you're 
working on. I think that just ties into what you were saying before about people sometimes, politics sometimes being a bit detached from the issues on the ground. Um, this is why, but one of the reasons why I'm also a, a bit, I personally, and this is not necessarily informed by by Judaism, but more just by the political uh, allegiances and values that um, my dad was certainly uh, is a, is a part of, which was skepticism of. Um, big government schemes in its ability. I, I remember there's a line from an economist who's very um, uh, that he really um, liked called Friedrich Hayek, who said the curious task of economics is to demonstrate to men how little they know about what they imagine they could design. Um, and I think that is um, that has some truth to it. Yeah. That definitely has some truth to it. I don't think that we are speaking very idealistically about if people act more like mentors and they were more aware of the issues. I mean, political discourse could be a lot more civil. Practically, do you see it happening at all? Well, it just start, it starts it starts with a very basic premise, which is we are both in this to try to make society better. Right, but and I mean, we but both we both have, can we make that message louder? I don't mean you and I, but is, is this something that could happen in the near future? Do you see it going in that direction? Or you could argue that the trend is going completely the other way and we're just, we're really picking up speed right now. I think there needs to be, you need to start off with mutual, mutual respect. Both, part, both sides need to work on mutual respect. The second part is, I think, also not making politics the be-all and end-all of our lives is really important as well. I think a much more emphasis on communal grassroots initiatives rather than big top down. You know, you're very concerned with we need we need more redistributive uh, wealth or that's your 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 big issue. Start with your community and try and fundraise among the, the muckers in your community and, and create an initiative that can look up, that can be you know look after the most vulnerable in your specific community. If everyone did that. That's a lot less political because it's not about some big grand political st- schemes, but it, it can have similar similar effects. And then the third part, um, I think there also needs to be more talk about, um, because given the nature of the fact that we now live in a society that does have quite divided political opinions on things, we need to, t- we need to make, and I, I'm... I, I say this with a great degree of hesitance because it sometimes flies in the face of um, what I feel. But I, but I do believe that in some respects and on some matters, we do need to make compromise more of a value, um, especially when it comes to politics. I'm not saying necessarily in moral spheres, but I'm saying in politics, um, specific policy prescriptions. I do think to have a functioning society when you've got a wide variety of views... Um, there does need to be a, a, a little bit of, of give and take. We need to be less fanatical about politics um, because otherwise, well, that's how we've got to this point, the point where we're at now. People are being too fanatical about their political positions. It, it's the be it's their religion. How, how do you do it, though? When, when you get into a conversation with somebody whose political views are so far from your own mm. and they seem to be completely unable and unwilling to listen, to anything other than their own point of view how, how would in, what advice would you give how would you engage with that person how would you try and show them that and to bridge that gap to show that compromise whilst not always agreeing what they're saying 100% but extending the olive branch to have a conversation to try and make something a bit more productive 
Well, sometimes the the act of just being a mensch can influence people. You know, I, I you mean outside of it, just sort of being polite and offering. Yeah, and even during the conversation, during yeah. the conversation as well, just being just just showing yourself to be the bigger person. Um, and you know, and I, I think we saw that recently. You know, we've seen that recently in, in British politics. Sometimes when people reach across the aisle and say, you know, I, I might not I might not agree with you on this, but I have I have respect for you. That can that can that can really impact a heart a hardened heart. Um, I think the second thing is. Like if someone doesn't want to listen, they don't have a conversation. Ultimately, there's only so much you can do. But talk to other people of that persuasion, and it is, and you know, I, I'm not saying people have to agree. I'm not, you know, we can, you can maintain your positions, but the, it's just about those those three things I was saying: the comp- the ability to compromise and recognize a bit of give and take, not to make this the be all and end all of your life, um, and to recognize the humanity on the other side. I think those are the three key key things. And, and look, you know, there will be some people that just can't see that, will, that will just see the Republicans or the Democrats as the devil or whatever, you know. But um, I think it's, it's sort of like reaching a critical mass. The more p- that people can do these three things, the more we can... Um, it's just about winning over the majority of people. Okay, what what are your views on um, sort of political, maybe like YouTube channels even, or small uh, or political news? In this country, most news stations, I think GB News is, is pushing a bit more, have uh, to observe a certain level of bipartisanship, and they have to sort of present both sides. And which, and if the, I've heard a line about the BBC News, if they're getting equal number of complaints from both the left and the right, then they know they're doing their job correctly. Mm-hmm. But nowadays on online, we have these limits that don't really exist anymore. I mean, we don't really have rules so much on truth, let alone on letting outside of opinions. So therefore, people get very involved and they get their news from very uh, polarised point of views, right and left. Do you think these are helpful or detrimental to, or not detrimental, but they're, they're just, you know, part of the equation? Um, are you nervous about them? Because I am. I'll tell you that. There's nothing wrong with people having, with, with opinion media, in my view. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But the point is, the point is that there needs to is, is people living in echo chambers and only hearing one point of view and one opinion, and also um, the fact that a lot of this stuff is the the way you get views is by saying things that you know saying things that are polarizing and divisive and uh, you know personal attacks are juicy. You know, yeah, they create the thing with the Facebook so... thing, the, the whistleblower, how the big revelation was that Facebook knowingly uh, promotes sort of posts and things that are inflammatory yeah. to get clicks. And I, I read that and going, was that not known? Well, well really... it... I mean, I always assumed that everyone knew they were doing it. I yeah. did, I did, I, it, it shocked yeah. me that it was a, a shock. Yeah, no, there's definitely a, a problem that... Um, there's, there's, there's an economic benefit for these media... Um, companies to say, to to post content that is um, you know d- divisive or polarizing, but at the same time, I think about the rise of of sincere, thoughtful podcast content or long form content, which is very popular. Because I think after a while, I think there's we're going to see it continuing. There is a growing hunger for just more calm, thought out debate and discussion, and people are getting tired of these three-minute head-to-head clashes 
Um, you know, sometimes, and by the way, I'm not against doing them. You know, ha you can have them and you can have sincere, um, even fiery debates. But again, it just goes back to those three principles. You're debating the opinion, not the person. And you're also not making making it just the, the hill you're going to die on um, without any ability to kind of compromise. I think compromise is a key element of life generally when you're faced with stuck with problems you know being able to be a bit flexible and shift my my dad's really taught me the importance of doing that you know when you're faced with problems you don't have to have, doesn't have to be exactly your way the way you always wanted it no shift it you know work with work with the other side and recognize that it's not just you in the room mm. absolutely i think the reason i said that i'm probably nervous is um i'll watch some of these videos where they'll be reporting on a news story of the day biden did this or trump did that and I could just guess, knowing the, the way the person is speaking, how they lean politically, I can guess how every single instance what they would say. Mm. And that might want to do some generic act, and therefore it will be bad or, or good, depending who they are. Yeah, well, this right? isn't... This... And you can watch both sides, and you get the exact same story. Yeah, yeah. And but it's just, it's a default, you know, you've put on the anti or the pro filter onto a story, and you just know what it's going to be. And that just seems to be... Well, unhelpful than anything else. But also, if you've been involved in a, in a kind of debate with someone, an argument with someone, and like it happens to me every now and again, and this, it's when I'm in a safe space, is why arguing uh, with people and, and debating really strengthens one's ideas. Is I'll debate something that I really believe in in my head, and then midway through the argument, I realize I don't believe in it at all, <laughs> and I'm just arguing something that I don't believe in. And I can keep hearing, maybe the other person doesn't hear, but I hear the, all the flaws in my argument. Now, the trick is, or the thing I'm meant to do here, is to be intellectually honest, to be aware, mm. okay, I don't actually believe what I'm saying right now, So, and the other person's making some good points, I should change my views, or I should develop my views. This, this is the, the natural, uh, mature evolution of, of what viewpoints should be. This is developing of ideas. But, yeah, if we don't have a, a space for that, if we, if I, we just have this default filter of all bad, all good, then surely we're just having both sides of people often fighting ideas that they might not necessarily believe in and they're leaving no room for nuance or forgiveness or or just understanding which is look he didn't do what i want him to do but there was some merit there what one of the reasons I've, another of my many reasons that we've been listing in this conversation for why i've just don't want to go into politics mm. i'm actually a bit bored of it <laughs> Like they just, it's just as you're saying, they just, you just know what each side is going to say now. Like I've heard it all before. I've heard it all before. Jude, you know, Judaism and Torah is so much more infinitely deep and, and fascinating and, and, and uh, I find it exciting. And yes, politics it does have an excitement to it, but like, I just know what each side believes, what they're going to say. I can, I can predict it all. Like I can say, and it's, it's almost like, okay, we now need to graduate from this. We know what each side thinks, but we're now what? We're numbing ourselves at this point, you're saying. If you just know what they're going to say the whole time, there's nothing... No, I think, well, I think people... You're just sitting there waiting for them to trip up and then go, aha, caught you out because there's nothing else to do. Yeah, it's just a war. It's just a, it's just a, it's a, it's a war. overly scripted and it's overly... It's all these talking points and it's spin and... Yeah, yeah. There's no value to it. There's no weight. Yeah. I, I don't know how it could be any different um, in terms of, you know, one side's going to think one thing, the other side's going to think the other thing. I get that. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm saying purely from the point of intellectual stimulation, I just, I just don't find it that interesting. Do you think there's room for it where a person could be a bit more 
honest and open and, and show vulnerability, able to hear other opinions and admit that they got things wrong in the past. Would that be a useful voice in politics? Because I think that I think it would be. I just think no one's going to do it because being too honest nowadays is just puts you one step away from being cancelled. I, th- I think, to be honest, I think a gr- the greater issue um, is not that people aren't intellectually on- honest. Um, it's I think it's more that the nature of politics is certainly if you're working for particular organization or if you are members of a political party or a member of parliament you have to toe the party line and even if it doesn't quite fit in with your what you think should be right or if the reason why a certain policy has to be supported is because of lots of difficult or uncomfortable reasons or it's a really bad compromise people so often have to become salespeople for that particular policy Mm. or that thing not because they believe it but because and I, i kind of wish there'd be a bit more openness and honesty on, on the one hand uh, you know like i sometimes see government ministers you know you can see like they're a bit lower down the pecking order having to defend a particular policy when they know the government will probably u-turn in two weeks time anyway um and they do it and you just know they don't believe it and i a part of me on the one hand i appreciate government unity and see why it's necessary but on the other hand a part of me just wishes they'd be like look you know i support the government but why can't they just say i support the government by and large but I really, I personally can't, I don't, you know, I don't, and I'm not going to defend this. so much more for it. I think they would. I think they would. But then again, wouldn't that create a lot of um, instability? Yeah. If you have lots of government, you know, government ministers not, you know, you, you do, it, it's, it's, it's a tricky one because I think you'd have, if you have government ministers undermining the policies of the government, what confidence is that going to give well, us? Well, there's no space at the moment right now for somebody to, to question Isaiah healthily. Yeah. And yet, still show well, their respect. I mean, there it, is. It, can, it can be. That's Just not in high politics. Yeah, I thought in other areas how, um, in many sort of very religious circles, there's no sort of room anymore. We spoke about this on another podcast uh, about there's no room to question, have any questions on what you think are the big, big things in Judaism. You just don't think it's appropriate. There's, there's, there's people who go like, I, I don't believe that the Torah is from God. That's a big hard line. People go like, I believe Torah is from God, but I don't understand a few things. And they don't feel like the, the, that level of nuance is a space to ask those questions. So either they feel they've got to toe the party line and believe in things they don't believe in, or run away and they get polarized from that. And the, the, the ideas can affect all areas in life. And I think it's, it's it helps no one. Yeah, no, we not, often not we have a lot, in, 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 sadly, in, in many <laughs> religious <laughs> educational systems, you have... It's to, it's legitimate to ask what the what questions, but to ask the why questions um, can sometimes uh, get you get you in trouble because they don't have the answers and they're worried you're going to destabilize the whole system, and that's not healthy. And I always think back to what is what is the when we think of what festival is all about education and passing on the message to the next generation. What is I think that? you gave it away there, but Pesach Passover. Why did I give it away? You said passing on. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was completely unintentional. Uh, I didn't even realize I did that. But but um, well, I never even thought about that Passover. Yeah, it's quite an interesting one. Yeah. Passing over the message. Um, it's not more than just the, all those endless strokes of, of a pesach of hey, could you pass over the salt? Boom boom. Yeah, but it's what what do we get the kids to do? Ask questions. Yeah. And, and 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 by the way, the four questions that the kids ask at the Passover table, they're not what questions. They are why questions. What does this mean to you? What are we doing? What are we doing here? Why do we need to do this? You know, the whole structure. Imagine of the, of the putting them in a in a that. Jewish school today. They'll be uh, 
they'd all be um, expelled. Well, we okay. that with the four questions, <laughs> it should be done by the young, or the kids, all the questions that say that should be asked by the young kids. And if they're not around, there should be young ones to say that. And even if you yeah. have a cedar just by yourself, you're still meant to frame it in a question answer form. Yeah. Because the questions, and the point of any question, the premise of any question is, I have X and I have Y. X and Y don't fit. So please give me Z, enough piece of information to yeah. make sure X and Y fits. Yeah. And if you'd never, and only then can you understand things at a greater level if you don't frame it through the lens of questions. So look, Abraham came to came to his knowledge of God and connections to God through logic. Through logic, the bates that means sure. the basis of our our whole modus operandi is uh, is logic. So no question should be on okay. beyond should be beyond uh, asking. Um, it's just it's it's always been alien to me this idea that you can't ask a specific question. If we if we're after truth, then the truth doesn't have an agenda. So ask away. But this all I mean, this works very it's very comfortable in the idea when when you really believe that in, in the Torah world that the truth is divine, supreme, then it always is an answer. It's just our struggle to get there. When you believe in the the Shemai and the shame in terms of being for the sake of heaven, when you believe in the heaven and everyone in, in, at the table believes in, in what they're fighting for, it becomes very easy to yeah, but why do you believe in it? Oh, oh I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, right, absolutely. In, in yeah. The, it's what if, if 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 we don't have it as true to ourselves or what they're really fighting for in a political scheme, if that doesn't really line up, then then we're always going to struggle with that. I don't know what the practical solution is here. Not but necessarily. I, 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 I like to think that if we, yeah, I'm somewhat. I think it was in, in Israel and Yeshiva. Someone just they, two people were having a debate about politics or fighting about political political viewpoints on a certain issue. And the guys turned to them and went, they just need Torah. That's all they need. And maybe it was just too simplistic an answer, but it, it fails at that at times. That was just sort of a injection of meaning that is above ourselves and importance that is above ourselves. Not unattainable, but more important and more powerful than ourselves. And we're all attached to that. Then a lot of these micro-issues can go away very easily. Well, it's interesting. We were just talking a second ago about the difference between the why questions and the what questions. Mm. And if people can have a political debate where they agree on the why, then the what, then you just have a what discussion. That's going to be a lot healthier. Yeah. And you know why are we why why are we here? Because we're trying to we we all agree we want to make the best society possible. And you know we're 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 both we're we're both legitimate uh, people with legitimate opinions. And not legitimate opinions, but, well, you know, legitimate voices that are trying to, you know, that, that, that are subscribing to looking for policy positions that can help make all of our lives better. And then you've got a good ground to, groundwork to, to, to grow from. You wouldn't say, though, maybe you would, I'm, I'm curious about this, that the way most modern political discourse is right now, is it almost, can it be too, and it's so at times far removed from what Torah value should be, is it, could it be dangerous, detrimental to be so involved in it? Is it that for someone to try and balance that and a t honest Torah life? Well, I, look, I said at the I'm start. Not, I'm not trying to go like sort of hard line barriers, anything that's a, not your worldview, push away. But there are times where something is, 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 the values of something are so far from oneself, you question, should you really be involved in it? I said at the start that I think people should be 
uh, if you're a, a big spiritual leader, let's say, there should be a lot of caution before being very involved in a particular political um, Is that party. Or the influence, especially. Well, no, because you sometimes, I think, I think, just need to be very careful not to conflate all the political positions of one political ideology or party with your religious beliefs. Okay. Um, the second thing I would say is um, that I, I had this issue myself where, as you say, um, you end up, um, you know, there are a couple, a couple of American organizations I've, I've, I've worked with it, that are involved in politics. And while it might not necessarily have been political policy positions, but more just the tone in which the discourse was descending into what us and them yeah yeah just and just 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 nasty um because they believe they're at war you know um it it it, it became untenable um and so i'm just saying so i'm not i'm really not discouraging people from being involved in politics um but it's i don't think one should never think that they need to conform to the level of the low level of discourse that exists um in in politics if anything they should go into it to try and raise it and i think that was one of the problems i had and also this problem as we spoke about before about needing to subscribe or support every single thing of that organization that party that they are a part of just to be to be wary of that that's not i don't see why that should be necessary um and yeah I'm not saying not to go into politics. I'm just saying there there are these issues to be wary of. And I think the person that needs to be studied who helped bridge a divide where there was literally a civil war um, between two sides um, is Abraham Lincoln. Um, How so? Well, there, he, he, he was uh, the president at the time of the American Civil War. And it should be important to look at his language. There's also religious language that he used in order to try and um, unite a divided nation. Um, and it shouldn't be taken for granted that he, he was using religious language because it can be unifying language because it makes us all children of God, all infinitely valuable. Um, and he, while sometimes having to make very difficult um, decisions and decisions that were, you know, very difficult. He used, just study the language he used because it was um, language of moral clarity and it was language, it was not, it, it just sounds very different to the hot-tempered language of modern politics. All right, let's conclude. Do you want to give like a message of hope for the future of political discourse and Jews and politics? Do you want to sort of inspire us? I don't like being too downbeat. I don't think we have been too downbeat, but... I think the concept of Moshiach, from what I understand, is that this big battle that's going to take place beforehand, I don't think is necessarily um, a literal war of, you know, bombs and explosions and militaries. I think it's an ideological battle where people are going to have to smash their idols, their gods, their false gods, and realize that God is God. And I think that 
whether or not we'd have to do anything specific, what we're going to see happening over time is people slowly realizing that whatever they've made their God is going to disappoint them um, and isn't all it's cracked up to be and has its flaws and isn't worth revolving their entire lives around. I think that can also apply to um, to politics as well. Um, it's going to happen across the board, where we all have our own gods, multiple gods in many in many respects. The things that we think are worth, you know, living for and focusing, directing our entire lives towards. And politics is, which is, I think, the idea of Moshiach unraveling is um, the period of Moshiach. Uh, unraveling is that we're slowly going to realize what's really important and put things in perspective. So I think it's just, it will actually just happen naturally because human beings are smart and sensitive and have the ability to recognize eventually, even if it takes a bit of shaking up to realize um, what's really important and put the things that are not as important or not as holy um, into into right balance and perspective. So I'm not saying anything specific needs to be done. We've spoken about the kind of problems in politics and the things that can be, I'm not sure if I have particular practical steps towards doing that. Um, but I do think that it's just going to, it's, it's, it's inevitable that people will slowly realize, just as the great big political ideologies of the past were eventually uh, smashed and, and fell from the 20th century, so too we're going to recognize that today, it's just, it's just today, it's actually, you know, it's not big ideological wars and that, it's just, it's not, sorry, it's not big literal wars and uh, grand political schemes that are transforming countries. Today it's just petty squabbling. Um, and it's just an age of ridiculousness and foolishness that we will soon graduate and mature from I mean I look forward to it Ollie I think we're out of time so thank you very much thank you thank you for joining us today and listening to JTV podcast you can find more podcasts from JTV, including interviews with Rabbi Manus Friedman, Dennis Prager, Rabbi Dr. Akiva Tatz, and many more, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Just search for JTV Podcasts with Ollie Hannesfeld. Don't forget to subscribe on the JTV YouTube channel for hundreds of videos on Jewish philosophy, Israel, Jewish wisdom, and much, much more. Please consider supporting us so we can continue to grow. Just visit paypal.me forward slash JTV channel. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.